going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to speak for just a few moments on the subject of have you left your first love. Last week, you may see the doorway up here. Last week I preached from Revelation chapter 3, the church of Philadelphia and the open door. He said, behold, I set before you an open door. If you weren't here last week and you desire to uh, just take a step of faith and walk through that door, uh, we want you to know that it is here this morning. Uh, I know it's just an illustration, but it can be a step of faith, a declaration that I'm going to walk through uh, that door uh, in 24 with the Lord and that things are going to uh, be what he's called them to be and I'm going to be with him. Uh, and so I'm excited about that. I do believe that 24 is the year of the door. Be looking for doors of opportunity for God to use you in that. Revelation 2, 1 through 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. Would you say that with me? I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Say that with me. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Say, hear what the Spirit says. But he says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Today we are looking at the church of Ephesus. It's a good church. It's a church, as you read about, that's been faithful, that's a working church. And in, in all, in the book of Revelation, there are seven churches mentioned. Seven letters from Jesus to seven churches, all in Asia Minor. And the first thing that I want us to understand is that this is a letter from Jesus. Therefore, it's important. It's a communication from him. And not only was it a letter to those churches, but it was intended to be passed down and preached throughout the ages. There are things that those churches went through, issues, problems, good things as well, that are important to us. And so that's why we study the book of Revelation. And if Jesus took the time to write a letter, then we need to read it. We need to study it. We need to preach it. Can I get an amen? These letters were written long, long ago but they still give us revelation to today. Each church 
is given one specific message. All of the churches is given different messages, but there's one theme throughout all of them, and it says, hear what the Spirit says. That means that the Spirit speaks, and He brings revelation to the church. He brings God's Word to the church. How many believe that the Spirit is still speaking today? Amen? And if He is still speaking, then we need to digest that. We need to understand that. Uh, we need to allow it to bring revelation to our life. I believe that He is still speaking. So why would Jesus send a letter? Seems a strange way. But those letters are passed down through the ages and the times. And he sent the letter because he's getting ready to return. That's what Revelation chapter 1 tells us. It says he's coming back soon. And he's coming back for his church. Another way to look at it is that he is coming back for his bride because that's what the scripture calls his church. And his bride needs to be prepared. How many of you have ever been in a wedding party? If you're married, you were in one too, okay? It's just you were the bride and the, or the groom, right? Now, I've been in several weddings when I was young, and I've preached a whole lot. And they bring everybody here, a lot of them, at the same time. And the guys get ready in 15 minutes. Right? I mean, we done shaved. We done took a shower. We done combed our hair. We done put on deodorant. And we're pretty much ready except for putting on the suits. Not so for the bride or the bridal party. Right? I mean, I've seen women get here more than two hours early to prepare for the wedding. I don't show up as the preacher that early. I'm telling you that much. Because I come already ready. But there is this theme of preparation. For a bride doesn't just show up. A bride doesn't just show up however she is and whatever she looks like, but she puts on her best face. Uh, she puts on one of those things that causes her belly to, you know, shrink in, you know, and pull it up tight, and, and that way she looks real good. There's some preparation for the bride. Jesus said, I'll write you these letters so you can be prepared for my coming. Not just show up anyway and anyhow. Because the scripture confirms that he comes for a bride that is ready, a bride that is pure, a bride that is holy, a bride that is without spot or wrinkle. And so that's why we look at these letters so that we can know how to become a church, a bride that God is ready to come back for. Are you ready? He's coming. He's coming. So the Spirit speaks. Are we listening? And this tells us that Jesus 
holds the seven stars in his right hand. Seven stars, seven churches. The seven stars are the pastors of the seven churches. And he holds them in his right hand. The right hand is a place of authority. The right hand is a place where we're in his hand and he calls all the shots. He's in charge. This is not my church. I'm the pastor. It's not my church. It's his. He's the supreme authority. But can I tell you that this also relates to us individually as children of God? Aren't you glad that you're in the palm of his hand? Aren't you glad that nothing can uh, separate you from God, that he holds you there in his hand, that he protects you and he guides you and he guards you and he uh, loves you and he there you are in his uh, hand, in his authority, in under his control. Uh, he rules and reigns in your life and no enemy can come and get you from his grip. Seven stars in his right hand. And he walks among the lampstands. What are the lampstands? Revelation 1 tells us they're the churches. These seven churches, real churches of that time, representative of all churches throughout all of the ages. And he walks amongst them. In the midst, it says. Can I tell you that we ought to take comfort knowing that Jesus is in the midst of us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always walking with us. He's uh, there and He is watching. And he is observing. He is uh, seeing the things that we do right. He is seeing the things that uh, we need to work on as He points out amongst all of these churches. But to know that we're in His presence. Do you feel that this morning? To know that He's near. Not a God that is far off, but a God that is close. A God who walks with us. I'm reminded of, of, of Adam and Eve, and the Bible tells us that God would walk with them in the garden. Oh, the fellowship. Oh, the, the sweetness of the relationship. And He walks in the midst of His church. Can you feel His presence? feel that he's close by and he said I know your works that can be both frightening and encouraging I know your works he sees everything nothing is hidden nothing is secret from him that can be frightening if you're not living like you ought to but he said I know your works encouraging if you are working for the Lord, he sees it. No one else may see what you do for the Lord, but he sees it. You may be in the background, never in the limelight, never even recognized for what you do for the Lord, but know this, he sees it. And he applauds that. He applauded this church of, of Ephesus. He he said that they were doing a good work, that all kinds of 
great things were happening, this work that was happening in their midst. We're a church that works. A church that loves. Before Jesus ever deals with their faults, he expresses his praise for what they're doing right. They're hardworking. They've accomplished much for the kingdom. They've persevered. Come on, somebody help me this morning. They, they've been patient. They've not stopped doing good works even though there has been hindrance and there has been issues and problems. They have persevered. And it is likely that this church of Ephesus, which is uh, uh, because of its location, that it likely planted the other six churches that are mentioned in the book. A church with an evangelistic mindset. A church that had doctrinal purity. They looked for the truth. They tested those who said they were apostles, but yet they were not. A busy congregation. And many times people will look at this when they recognize the church of Ephesus and they de-emphasize the importance of works because they don't want to diminish the priority of grace and salvation. But Jesus highlighted their works, and he applauded their works. What's the answer? A clear and a balanced message of grace and works in the church. You do not just need one or the other. You need both. Grace is important for your salvation. Read this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace is important. It's not of yourself. You uh, did not do the work. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. When it comes to grace, it is the premier thing in your salvation. But that does not mean that you are not to do any works whatsoever. Because if you really love, then you will work for the Lord. You don't earn the salvation through work, but if you really love, you will work. And it says, for we are His workmanship. I love that. He created us. He designed us. And it tells me that God works. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, the Father works, therefore I work. So there's no lack of importance for work. You were created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he sees us. He, he says, I know your works. There's not a condemnation in that particular thing. From the outside, this church looks solid. They're working. They're faithful. They're patient. They don't tolerate evil. But Jesus said, I have something against you. You have left your first love. 
Notice what it does not say. It does not say that you have lost your first love. For when you lose something, you don't know where it is. I think I know a thing or two about losing things. You lost it. You have no idea where it is. But when you have left something, then you can always go back to it. That's the good news. So if this morning you feel like maybe you have left your first love, the good news is that there is a way to recover from that and to get closer to the Lord and, and, and develop that love relationship with God. Have you lost? We're always tempted to say that. Have you left your first love? Left is not lost. Left is not necessarily deliberate. In the original, it means you disregarded it. You didn't purposely leave it behind. It's not the word apostasy. The word apostasy means that you have completely abandoned or a renunciation of your faith and of your love. But you left it. Love is important. Charles Spurgeon says a church has no reason for being a church when she has no love within her. Or when that love grows cold, if you lose love, you lose all. Is it possible? And the answer is yes. For us to get so busy working that we left the love for the one that we're working for. I, I think it's very easy to do because it's the very first thing that Jesus addresses to the church. It's possible that we could do a lot of work for the Lord and be very busy and going and going and doing and doing, but yet we forget uh, and we leave our first love. It's possible to do that. And I believe that's why Jesus addresses that first. For if you have love for Jesus, a lot of the other things that you're going to deal with, you're going to get through them. The Bible even tells us when we're dealing with one another that love covers a multitude of sins. So love, look at your neighbor and tell them, I love you. How do we know how to love one another? Because he first loved us. Now, if it's possible to leave our love, I want you to know that God cares about you too much to allow you to get so busy that you aren't completely given to him. Completely to him. The Bible, we, we don't understand this because we look at jealousy as a bad thing. And from maybe from a humanistic standpoint, it is. But God says, I am a jealous God. And I desire all of you, all of your love, not just a piece, not just a part, 
but I desire, he tells us, he's a jealous God, serve me, love me. We are to love him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's a jealous God. Can I just say it a Kentucky way? Jesus wants you to be head over heels in love with him. He wants your love for him to be premier and preeminent. He wants it to be a first kind of love. He wants you to love him with all that you are and all that you have. And it calls it a first love. It's the Greek word protos. It means principle. Foremost in importance. A former. What has happened? Have we lost or left our intimacy with the Lord? See, if we only focus on work for the Lord, we, that can eclipse our relationship with Him. If all you focus on is doctrine, and you know I know, love the Word of God, you can grow cold and callous and hard in your relationship with the Lord. The Bible tells us we can have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. I believe the power is in the love. What is this telling us? You've left a former kind of love? They left the way they used to love Jesus. Now, can I preach for just a minute? Do you remember how you used to love Jesus? Do you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember the feeling of freedom from your sins? Do you remember the, the joy that was overwhelming? Do you remember how clean and how fresh you were? Do you remember how all you thought about was the Lord. When you went to bed, you thought about the Lord. In the morning when you woke up, you thought about the Lord. Everything was about Him. It was all about Him. And you were falling in love with Jesus over and over and over again. He said, you left that. Surely, God doesn't want us to stay in that kind of love. That's kind of crazy. That's kind of erratic. That's kind of emotional. And the answer is, yes, he does. He wants you to stay deeply in love with him. Why I had him sing this morning, falling in love with Jesus. I'm falling in love with Jesus. And it's the best thing that I've ever done. He wants you to love him like that. When I was trying to put all these words together, I remembered a song that we used to sing in children's church. It's funny how those songs come to your mind. And it simply says this, I'm all wrapped up. I'm all tied up. I'm all tangled up. In Jesus. It's everything I think about. Everything I do is about Jesus. I'm 
I'm tied up in him. I'm tangled up in him. It's all about him. We are his bride. And we ought to have a passionate love for him. I don't know for sure what my smile looked like when I was getting married because I was on this side of it. You know what I'm talking about? There was no mirrors here. But they tell me when my bride, Teresa, walked down the aisle that I had a really big smile on my face. Why? Because I loved her. I really did. With everything within me, I loved that girl. She was my sweetheart, high school sweetheart. We'd kind of grown up knowing every, all kinds of people together. Uh, and we were friends, and then we fell in love with one another. She was special. And I loved her the best way I knew how to love her then. I mean, can associate with this. But we've been through some things down through the years. Some great times, some good times, some bad times. And even the bad times and the struggles, they didn't cause us to lose love for one another or to leave our love. But we grew closer. And I love her more now than I ever did before. And that's the kind of love that Jesus calls us to. Have you been through some things with Jesus? Some struggles, some trials. Oh, some blessings and some good times too. Do you love him more now? It's important. See, I think it's important to start the year off right. You know I think that. That's why I preach like this at the beginning of the year. Could we just make it a priority this year to fall in love with Jesus? Over and over and over again. Let him take the premier place in our life. Oh, I know we got to work. I know we got to do all these things, but can we just draw closer to him? Through our time of prayer and fasting, can we? That, that, that's been a, a desire and a, a passion of mine that we would be a church that loves Jesus more than anything. We're known to love people when they come in. But if you really want to be a church of love, first love Him. And He'll teach you how to love everybody else. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Him. I'm wrapped up and tied up and tangled up in Jesus. What happened to your first love? Did it turn into religion? When you first got saved, I don't know if you were exactly like me, but I couldn't wait for the next service. I couldn't wait for the next opportunity to get into God's presence with God's people. What has happened to us? Have we left our love? I'm not condemning. I'm saying this is an opportunity for us to grow in our love for Jesus. 
I look back at nine years old. I'm in a youth camp, hybrid. Some of you experienced that. Some of you went to camp meetings and things there. And it was a crazy, wild service. I mean, it was Pentecostal as you can get. Sometimes we don't act very Pentecostal. Sometimes we act, you know, other denominations. We get real quiet. You're real quiet. I know I'm kind of teaching and preaching at the same time. But, but sometimes that helps you to soak it in. And it was wild. I mean, people were jumping and shouting and singing and falling out in the spirit. Uh, some, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? The Holy Spirit was coming down in a powerful way. People were being filled with the Holy Spirit right and left. I was at the altar. I was seeking the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Two of my uh, mentors, I uh, didn't even know they were mentors at the time. They were praying over me that the power of God would uh, come into me. And, and all of a sudden, I began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And there was a power and a glory that came. And the church service went for hours. Nobody wanted to leave. We were hungry, thirsty for more of Jesus. Huh. They finally said, you know, we're little kids. You guys got to go to the dorm. It's time to go to bed. So you can get up in the morning and play and have fun. But when we get back to the dorm and we get tucked into our beds, all of a sudden, church broke out again. And the people that didn't get filled with the Holy Spirit in the service got filled with it in the dorm, laying in their bed. And people were being called into ministry and all kinds of things because we had a passion and a love for Jesus. It calls us to remember. Pastor, how do I get back to that kind of love? Remember. Remember how you used to love him. Not as a source of condemnation that, oh, I used to be there, but now I'm here and I'm bad. But as a source to say, Jesus can take me back to that place. I begin to set my priorities and begin to put him first again. Number two is repent. Pastor, I'm already saved. Why do I need to repent? Repentance is not just for the sinner. It's also for the saint. For when we're sinning, we're not going towards God. We're going away from Him. Sin gets in the middle, in the way of the relationship between you and the Lord. And when we repent... We don't just say, I'm sorry, and keep walking the same way. No. What do we do? We turn. Turn back. That's what repentance is about. And then he finally says, and return. Return to the former way that you used to love me. Return to those first works of love. Pastor, what, what's the secret? It's time. It's time. If you're married or you're in a relationship 
with someone, boyfriend, girlfriend, and you never spend any time together, what happens? Gets left. Gets left. Time in his word. Time in his presence. That's why fasting is so important. What are we doing? We're not just starving ourselves. We're making a place to give more time to the relationship with the Lord. I've been praying a lot lately. I'm not eating so much. It's not telling yet. But it will. Love takes time. Develop that relationship with the Lord.